This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, this is the second class of Pirkei Avot. We're in the first chapter, and we're continuing with Mishnah Vav, the sixth Mishnah. So let's read inside. Yoshua ben Prachia. These two rabbis, they accepted from the previous rabbi. Yoshua ben Prachia Omer, So they said three things. Number one, You have to make for yourself a rabbi. We're going to explain each one. Means that you should buy a friend. We'll try to explain why you have to buy a friend. And then, You have to judge everyone favorably. Okay, so the first one, that's probably, that's a very, very important concept that we have to discuss for a couple of minutes. This whole Mishnah, in, t- in general, is telling us in order to be successful in our Avodat Hashem, in our service of Hashem, we got to do three things. The first two have to do with our support group. Quote unquote. In other words, we have to have a rabbi, but we also have to have friends. You have to have both. We have to have a rabbi. Every person needs a rabbi. Every person needs a support group. We need a rabbi for different issues. We need for halachic issues. We might have questions. So we have to have someone that we can go to for the answers when halachic issues arrive. We also have to have someone to be able to seek advice and counsel. Sometimes we go to our friends. Uh, friends are good. Sometimes we might be embarrassed or intimidated to go to the rabbi. That's okay. Uh, so we go to our friends and we discuss things. But ultimately, we have to clarify, we have to make sure that we have the right friends and also we have to have the right rabbis. Uh, I wrote in my notes a warning, a big warning in bold. You have to be careful of Rabbi Google. Okay? <laughs> Don't go to Rabbi Google. Okay, now, just like if a person has a medical issue, you want to research it, fine. You research it a little bit, fine. But ultimately, we're not going to rely, when it comes to a serious issue, we're not going to rely on what Dr. Google says. So just like we're not going to rely for a serious issue on what Dr. Google says, we're also not going to rely for a spiritual matter, a serious spiritual matter, on what Rabbi Google says. We're going to go to the real Rabbanim to figure out what the what the proper uh, advice is. Now it's also, sometimes a person might have a number of rabbis that they're associated with. That's fine. But ultimately, really, it's a good idea for a person to have one personal rabbi that they're associated with that knows you well. You have to have someone that knows you. If you ask a question to someone that doesn't know you, those answers might be accurate, might not be accurate. You can't always give, even if it's a halakhic issue, you can't always give one answer uh, to two different people. Sometimes the situation is different. That's why it's important that you know the rabbi, you're comfortable with him, and he's also, uh, he understands your particular situation. It says, and then it says, make for yourself a rabbi, but then it says, buy for yourself friends. Why does it say buy friends? You know, money can buy a lot of things, but we would think that money doesn't really buy friends. So when it says, it means that in order to have a good relationship with someone else, you have to invest time and effort, and maybe sometimes money also. 
But the point is that relationships take effort. And uh, if a person puts in the proper effort, then they can have good relationships. So again, we need the proper relationships with our friends and also uh, a good relationship with, with our mentors. The Rambam says in Hilchot Deap Halacha Aleph that a person is a psychological human phenomenon, that a person is always, uh, he always follows his friends. The Rambam says, Derach Briyato Shel Adam Liot Nimshach B'Deotav Maasav That the way of human nature is, is that a person is always drawn after their friends. And therefore, it's very, very important that a person makes sure to have always good friends. People who are tzaddikim, people are good. It's, if you think about our children, we always want our children to have uh, good friends. If they don't have good friends, then they could have uh, those friends who are not so good could have a negative influence on them, and we don't want that to happen. The Rambam says that this is one of the human laws of human nature, that a person is always nimshach, a person is always drawn after their friends. And if a person lives in a place where the people are not so good, the Rambam says, then you got to go to the Midbar, you got to go to the desert where there's no people. That's better than to live in a place where there are people who are not so good. But always, also, a person, number one, a person should have good friends, and if you have good friends, then, then you're okay. The last part of this Mishnah says, kol ha'adam l'kav A person should judge another person favorably. Now the question, the first question we want to ask is that this is really a pasuk in the Torah. The Torah says in Parshat Kedoshim, B'tzedek tishpot et amitecha. You're supposed to judge your, your neighbors righteously. So what is the difference between what this Mishnah is telling us and what the pasuk in the Torah is telling us? This Tana is really telling us also how to have a good, how to have a, a good teacher and how to have good friends. If we're if we're not going to judge them, sometimes a person by human nature we're very uh, judgmental. Sometimes a person in their mind you relapse into this automatically, judging other people. What did they do? How did they do? What did they buy? How much did they spend on the bar mitzvah, on the wedding, on this, on that? And we all automatically lapse into in, in, in the privacy of our own minds. Why did they do this? Why did they do that? But we have to try to fight against this, uh, this human nature to not be judgmental. If a person is not judgmental, then it's much easier to have friends and it's much either easier to have mentors. So that's one, one concept. The Bartanura, the Ravmi Bartanura, says something interesting in this Mishnah. It says, We're supposed to judge every, every person favorably. But we know that there are some people that uh, when they do things, it's not really, they're not doing good things. So what's the rule? How do we know when to judge favorable, favorably and when not to? So the Ravmi Bartanura says, if, let's say, a person comes, and we don't know this person, good, bad, we don't know, and he does an action, and this action is questionable. Does he mean it for the good? Or he mean it, means it for the bad. Then, in that situation, that's what the Mishnah is telling us. This is a midat chasidut. It's above and beyond the letter of the law, even though this action might be, might be a negative action. But we have to, this, we don't know, we don't know this person, the previous history. We have to dan him lekavshut. We have to say, probably, he meant it for the good. 
if we have a person that was muhzak, we call muhzak, that we know that this person is always doing something that's not so good, so then the Mishnah is not talking about that type of thing. It could be that a person would be permitted to judge that person for the not favorably. It is possible. But generally, first of all, the step number one, rule number one is don't judge. That's number one. Don't judge. And if a person has to make a decision, sometimes you have to judge a, t- a teacher or uh, different situations. A person might have to make a decision on whether this person's actions are, are good or not good. So in those types of situations, a person has to be careful, and you have to, uh, it takes a lot, of, a lot of chachma, a lot of wisdom to be able to make the right decision. But there's one last point that it says in this mission. It says, What does it mean? It should have just said that you judge a person favorably. It says, judge the whole person favorably. Why does it say the whole person? What's the whole person? This means that very often we have to take into, into consideration the, the person's background. Where are they coming from? Why do they do this thing? This thing that they did seems to be very strange. Why are they doing this? Why are they being so, it seems like they're, they're being mean. Why are they being talking in such a negative manner? It could be that if we understand their history, where they came from, their upbringing, or maybe it's just uh, they had a bad day. Maybe someone, if we understand where they're coming from, then it's much easier to judge a person favorably. So we have to take into consideration kol ha'adam, the complete person, and then it's much easier to, to judge the person favorably. Okay, let's move to Mishnah Zayin. Mishnah Zayin, number seven. It says, Nitai ha'arbeli omer harchek mishachen ra ve'al sitchaber l'arasha. person should distance themselves from a bad neighbor. And also, we shouldn't uh, associate, we shouldn't be mechaber, we shouldn't form a relationship with a rasha. And the last thing that he says is, A person should not uh, despair when th- bad things happen. We'll have to explain that. The first thing, number one, is, When a person is trying to find a place to live, you're looking for a nice block to live on, you should always make sure, check out the neighbors first. You don't want to live on a, on a block with with uh, people that are not good. Make sure that your neighbors are good because these neighbors, that's who you're going to be associating with. That's who your kids are going to be playing with. And that's, it's very important to find a good house with good, with good neighbors. Then it says, If a person finds themselves in a situation where already there are people like that, so then we shouldn't form relationships with them. If a person associates with a bad crowd, then even if that person particularly didn't do anything wrong, but they might be, quote-unquote, punished with, with the rest of the crowd. So we don't want to associate with a bad crowd. It's like a mashal, if a person goes into a tannery. I never went into a tannery, but it says in the, uh, the rabbis tell us that the, a tannery smells very bad. There's a bad odor. So if a person would go into that type of place, even if you didn't do anything, even if you didn't touch any of the, of the leather that, that they're working with over there, when you walk out, your clothes are going to have this bad odor. So when a person is around people that are not uh, the best of best characters, that those actions, those, their, their actions could rub off, they could have an effect on us. And therefore it's very important to make sure to have good neighbors and good friends. The last part of the Mishnah says, "Va'al mina puranut." So, what does that mean? Don't despair from retribution. 
which means like this, we might see sometimes that there are people that we know these people are, are good for nothing. But it seems that they're very rich and they're having a good time and, and things are going, going very, life is going very well for these people. So we might think, listen, maybe I should join them. I'll have a good life also. They're rich. Maybe I'll, I'll also uh, become rich. But a person should know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge. And even if we see these Rishayim, they're having a good time right now, but it's not going to last. In the end, everything, there's a, a, a din. Let, it's not, there's a din and there's judgment from Hashem. And we should know that we shouldn't associate with these types of people. Uh, they're going to get what they're going to get, and Bezat Hashem will get the good uh, rewards. Also, it means, this line, Val Puranut, doesn't only mean that a person should not despair from retribution, but it means that when something goes wrong, a person should not give up. Sometimes we try to do, we try to embark on a, we try to do a good deed, perhaps, and we get stuck. We're trying to visit someone, maybe, and the, the car breaks down, or we're trying to to uh, do something, some mitzvah, and, and things get in the way. When that type of thing happens, we should know that actually it means the opposite. Not that when we're, what we're trying to do, we shouldn't continue doing, but rather the Yetzirah is trying to get in the way because we're doing something very good. Sometimes when we're trying on our way to do something, famous story I like to say in Baltimore, uh, there was a certain shul that was moving, joining another shul. And uh, they needed funds, they needed a lot of funds, and they got a, a donor, his name was Edmund Safra, and they got a donor, Rabbi Goldfez's shul in Baltimore, and they were, there was another shul that they were going to take over another shul, but they needed funds, and they got the funds, and the Friday before they were supposed to move in, they were supposed to move in on a Sunday, and the Friday before, there was some sort of accident, and Ed. Mr. Edmund Safra uh, passed away. And now they're all nervous. What's going to happen? How are they going to get the funds? Are they going to get the funds? Are they not going to get the funds? So this is, they were trying to do something good, a, a mitzvah, they were trying to build up their Beit Knesset, and something got in the way. So this is like a called a ma'aseh satan. Sometimes these things happen, but we have to know that when we're trying to do something that's really good, sometimes the satan, the yitzhara, Gets, gets in the way, and that should not deter us. Actually, that should show us that we're doing something that should be approved to us, that we're trying to do something good, and we should work even harder to overcome whatever the challenges are. The Talmud actually says something very interesting. The Talmud says that if a person goes through 40 days and nothing bad happens, that's not a good sign. You have to, sometimes, you know, things go wrong, and, and it's good, and it's normal, and it's part of life. When little things go wrong, we don't want the big things to go wrong, but little things here and there, that's a sign that, that things are, are operating properly. If things go smoothly, too smoothly, that's not a good sign. That's what the Talmud says. So we should be happy. When a little glitch happens here or there, we should be happy. It's a good thing. Okay. Next Mishnah. Mishnah Chet. Yehuda ben Tabai v'shimon ben Shatach kiblu mehem. They accepted from them. Yehuda ben Tabai Omer. Yehuda ben Tabai says... A person should not make himself like a lawyer. We'll see what that means. I hope there are not any lawyers over here right now. Okay. 
This Mishnah is speaking to like a judge. When the people, the parties that are being judged are standing in front of you, they should be as if they're as if they're wicked. That's before you judge them and while you're judging them. But after you judge them, once they once the judgment is finished, so then they should be like they should both be meritorious, even though that one party is going to win and one party is going to lose. But when they finish the judgment, the judgment is over, then they both should be like zakain. There's another uh, version that says that they should both be like sadikim. Okay, we'll explain that in a minute. There's one condition. It's only if they both, both parties accepted the judgment. Sometimes you could have a situation where there's a, a squabble, there's an argument, a monetary issue, and they're, they're fighting, the two parties are fighting with each other, and uh, they go to a court, they go to a beitin, and they really accepted the judgment, they accept in advance, they make a kinyan, that we're going to accept the judgment. But when they come out and one guy loses, he's not really so happy and he doesn't accept the judgment. So we're not talking about that situation. We're talking about where they both went to the court, they, accept, they said in advance, we're going to accept the judgment, and they do accept the judgment. So during the proceedings, the Dayan has to look at them as they're both, they're both guilty, right? We don't say innocent until proven guilty. They're both guilty until proven innocent. That's during the, before the proceedings and during the proceedings. But after the proceedings are over, then they both have to be like Zakain, or perhaps like Sadikim. Okay, so now the question is like this. Let's say sometimes, sometimes the, the judge might uh, require both of the parties to make a shvua, to make an oath, to swear. Now, if both parties are going to swear, that means that one party is definitely lying. So how could it be that when they leave, you're looking at them, the both parties at Sadiqim? It can't be. It's impossible. One guy is wrong, and they both t- took the oath, so one guy was, was uh, swearing falsely. So how could it be that they're both tzaddikim? And the answer is that we have to consider, uh, we have to consider, we have to, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. After the case is over, we have to understand that probably this person may be misunderstood, and that's why he took the shvua. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt. No person is going to swear falsely for nothing. It must be that he probably made a mistake. He didn't understand, and and that's how we have to look probably. at it. Somebody's got something wrong. It's wrong, and he knows that he's doing it wrong, but he's trying to get out of it. How okay. could you say that? If if it's really there. so, that's what we're saying in the proceedings. When we do, when you're ju- judging, when you're judging, then you have to judge. The judge has to judge, so he has to look at both parties that they're that they're guilty. Why? Because that will help get at the truth. Then he'll be he'll work he'll work he'll interrogate both parties equally. You know, it can't be that one is innocent and one is guilty, or they're both in, they're not both innocent. Right? So, but it also can't be that he, he looks during the proceedings that one is innocent, one is guilty. Right? They both have to be both guilty, and then, then he'll, be, he'll be fair to both parties, and then at the end the truth will come out. And at the end, if it's, it comes out that one lied, okay, so one lied, but uh, now the case is, is, Can is finished. The, if he lied? the point is like this. The point is like this. It, uh, that's for Hashem to decide. Hashem will decide. During the court proceeding, I need to be the judge. After the court case is over, who asked me to judge? I'm not a judge anymore. I'm only a judge during the case. After the case, then it's finished. I don't have to judge anything anymore. Once the, once the decision is rendered, then that's it. Why do I have to judge? Don't judge. Okay. So this is uh, this Mishnah.
that a person, number one, uh, a person should not be off. So what, let's just go back and explain the first part. Altas A person should not make himself like a lawyer. It doesn't mean that a person shouldn't be a lawyer. It's okay if a person wants to be a lawyer, that's okay. But it means like this, that the judge, the judge cannot be a lawyer. You can't be a lawyer and a judge at the same time, which means that when the judge is talking to the two parties, he has to talk to them, and he cannot give them the way to argue. He can't give them, offer them the solution of how to... That's the lawyer's job. It's not the judge's job. The judge's job is to listen to each side fairly, and he doesn't give them, oh, if you say like this, you know, I advise you to, uh, to plead guilty without explanation. You can't say, you can't advise them how to plead. They plead the way they want to plead. They may have their own, own lawyers, but the judge cannot be... The judge is a judge. The judge is not a lawyer. The, oh, they could be. It could be that, that before they became a judge, they might have been a lawyer. But in the, you could have... Yeah, each, each party each party could have their own lawyer. Oh, yes, for sure. They could do that, yeah. They could start out as a lawyer. I have one of my relatives... Uh, one of my uh, my wife's aunts is uh, was originally a lawyer, right? And then she became a judge. Okay, so that's that's possible. Yeah, that's not a problem. Okay, let's go to the next Mishnah, Mishnah Tet, Mishnah Tet. Shimon ben Shatach Omer, have a marbelach koret edim. Now we're still touching, talking a lot about judges over here. So a person should the judge should make sure to cross-examine the witnesses very very carefully. And a person should also be careful with his words. Okay? Because the way that the judge talks, if the judge talks too much, it's not the job of the judge to talk. He's supposed to be listening to the witnesses very carefully, and he actually wants to make the witnesses talk a lot. Because the more they talk, if they're telling the truth, then they'll be telling the truth the whole time. But if they're trying to tell a lie, so then very often if they keep on talking, eventually they're going to stumble somewhere and we'll be able to tell uh, who's, who's lying and who's telling the truth. So the witnesses, we want them to talk a lot, but the judge should not talk too much because we don't want the parties or the witnesses to learn how to navigate the system by what the, by what the judge says. So that's what it says over here, that the judge has to be careful uh, with what he says. Okay, let's go to Mishnah Yud. So these two rabbis accepted from the previous rabbis, and they said like this, A person should love his work, love work. Okay, this is a, a tricky one to explain. The person should hate the rabbinate. What does that mean? We'll explain. And a person should not, um, should not make himself known to the government. We'll see what that means. Okay, let's go back and explain each one one by one. A person should love work. Now, a person should not love work too much. It shouldn't come to the point where he becomes an, uh, a workaholic. 
You don't want to be that. 24-7, to be thinking always about, about the work, that, that's, not, that's not healthy. person needs vacation. person needs every day. You have to have downtime. Okay? It's, uh, that's, it wouldn't be healthy to, to love work too much. But a person should love work because if a person is not working, if a person is just uh, not doing anything, productive, that's what we mean by work, being productive, so then a person is going to be bored, and boredom leads to sin. Okay, so therefore a person always has to try to find things to keep themselves busy and productive. When a person is productive, when a person has a schedule, when a person has an agenda, and a person has a list of things to do, and you're able to cross off each thing, I did this, I did that, I did that, you feel good inside. When a person is, is organized and productive, and a person accomplishes, then a person feels good about themselves. If a person doesn't, doesn't have a plan, and is not, is not organized, is not doing, then a person doesn't always feel good about themselves. So in order to feel good about yourself, it's a good thing to make a checklist. This is one way to do it. Any, uh, there may be many ways to do it. Many people are able to do it mentally. Whatever it is, a person should try to be organized and try to have an agenda every day. This is what I need to do. This is what I want to accomplish. And then a person will feel uh, very good about themselves. So that's what it says, Ehovet HaMalacha. A person should love work. Whatever it is that they're doing, a person should love it. You just think about kids. If you have a number of, you have a, a, a class, and the teacher is not there, and the kids are not, are not given an assignment, then there's going to be chaos in the class. That's how it is. I remember when I used to drive carpool back in Baltimore uh, with a carload of, of children. So if, there's, if, you, if you're not doing anything, if you don't have, provide any sort of entertainment for the children, then they go crazy. They start throwing things, knapsacks, books. You know, lunches are flying all over the place. But if you just turn on some music, or maybe you turn on a little story, then the kids are, are focused on something. They're doing something positive, And then that solves all the problems. I learned the hard way. Uh, but uh, that's, that was one of the things that I learned, that uh, if, if, there's, if, if there's not organization, then that could lead to chaos, and bad things happen. Okay. Now what's the second thing, snatarabanut? To hate the rabbinate. It means that a person should hate positions of power. We know the famous statement is that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So a person should not, a person, uh, some, we need leaders. Of course we need leaders, we need rabbis, we need teachers. But a person should not become, should not aspire to become these positions just because it's a position of power and it's a, a place, it's a power, it's a, it's a place where a person can control other individuals. That's not what we're looking for. So, so that's what we're supposed to hate. We're supposed to hate positions of power when we're going for those for the for the aspect of the power. I don't understand why they would use the word Well maybe it's maybe it's a it's a it's a it's a warning to everyone, to all different positions of power, but especially to Rabbanim, right? Maybe. We have to be very careful not to abuse the, the rabbinate, right? A person should should be a, a rabbi or a, a leader for for altruistic a motives. Even a policeman. There's so many reports in the news today that they do that they abuse their position of power, right? A hundred percent, right? So it's really talking to any position of a rav. A rav is a general term for for master for adon, right? It does, doesn't mean only rabbis. It means any position of power or leadership. Okay. 
The last part of this Mishnah says, Val titvada larashut, which means that a person should not become overly familiar with the government. Okay, now we have to understand what this means. Of course, we know that there's such a thing as politics. And to get involved in politics sometimes could be dangerous. Even to discuss politics is dangerous sometimes. <laughs> it depends what side you are. You know, it's very, very dangerous. It's a good idea to stay. It's good to know it, though. But it's a good idea. Right. But it's a good idea. We always say that uh, at uh, the Persian Hebrew congregation, at Sudach Lishit, the men know that we decide all the politics for the whole entire world. Israel, America, we decide everything, you know. So the point is that sometimes it's dangerous to get involved in politics. There's no point. Uh, the truth is it's better to get to talk about politics than to talk about Lashon Hara. Okay, so maybe that might be, not, that might be one saving uh, virtue. But a lot of times it, if it gets, it gets people agitated and people get into arguments and that's not, that's not good, that's not point, that's not the point, that's not, uh, it's not productive. It's not what, what we want to do. That's one aspect, but another aspect is that when a person gets involved in with politicians, many times the politicians are in it for themselves, and therefore, if you start trying to become friendly with a with a politician, be careful because he is accepting your fr- uh, friendship, but it might be for an ulterior motive. That's what the Mishnah is is telling us: be careful. Now, it's true that we do need need advocates. The Jewish people, Israel, we need advocates, Jewish advocates to go to the government and to, and to deal with the government on our behalf. We do need that. But there's a special warning. This Mishnah is telling these types of people, okay, you want to be an advocate? Be an advocate, but be careful. Be careful when you deal with the government. It's tricky business. That's what this Mishnah is telling us. Okay. Next Mishnah, Mishnah Yud Aleph. 11, it says like this. Avtalion Omer, we had a pair of Shmaya and Avtalion. Avtalion Omer, Chachamim. By the way, it's very interesting that these two rabbis, Shmaya and Avtalion, they're actually converted to Judaism. They were from the family of Sancherev, and they converted to Judaism, and they became great rabbis. So Avtalion, the second one, says like this. Chachamim, he's a harub divrechem. Again, we have a warning to the Chachamim. You have to be careful with your words. Shema tachovu chovat galut. Because maybe you might go into exile, talking to the rabbis. This is a, a little bit of a, a parable. And you might be exiled to a place that has uh, poison waters, which means that there might be negative influences in that place where you're exiled to. And you know, it says in other places, the rabbis tell us, that if the rabbi goes into the exile, then the students have to follow him into the exile. Okay, so now, now the problem is that the students might learn, the rabbi might not learn from that negative influence, but the students, they might learn from the ma'im hara'im, from the negative influence that there is over there, from the poison waters. They might drink from these waters and die. We're talking about it in a spiritual sense. And then the name of, of God will be profaned. So basically, if we start from the beginning of the Mishnah, we have to understand that the Mishnah is telling us that Chachamim The rabbis always have to be careful with their words. Whatever they say should be clear and understood. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be too high over the heads of the people that they're talking to. It should be. Everything should be clear. 
It says, Ve'ele mishpatim asher tasim lefeichem. Hashem said to Moshe that when you give over the Torah to the Jewish people, it has to be kishulchan aruch. It has to be like a set table. Don't make it too complicated for them to understand. Make it easy to understand in order so that people don't make a mistake in what your words are. Now this is uh, especially important in our day with all the different ways of communicating with other people. We have emails, we have text messages, we have all these different ways of communicating. And the truth is, even before we had the emails and the text messages, we have phone calls. And sometimes certain rabbanim didn't want to answer questions on the phone because someone would phone, would phone, would, uh, would, uh, this is before caller ID, someone would call and they wouldn't give their name and they would ask a quick question and the rabbi doesn't know who he's talking to and you give an answer and then the person hangs up before the rabbi gives, gets a chance to explain the whole, they heard the word, it's permitted, that's it. And they didn't hear all the conditions. And whoop, the phone is, the phone is down. Okay, so that's why it's, 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 very, it's very, very tricky with modern technology, especially with tech messages. I had a, someone that uh, would ask me questions in text. It's okay. It's, it's no, it's, it's, if the rabbi knows the, the people, if you know each other, so then it's much, it's much better. It's, it's easier. But a certain person <laughs> would text three rabbis at the same time. <laughs> Group text. <laughs> and then he would wait for the first answer, or may, I don't know if he was waiting for the first answer, or the most lenient answer, or the most mach, I don't know what he was waiting for. But that's not the way to, to, to have a aselecha rav, like we said in the beginning, you have to have one rabbi, one rabbi they ask you questions to. Sometimes this rabbi, your rabbi, maybe might not know the answer. Okay, that's fine. He doesn't know the answer. Either he'll send you to someone that knows the answer, or he'll look it up, he'll figure, do some reaches and, and get back to you. There's two or three rabbis, they argue with each other. Of course, you got to so argue. Why can't you ask for two or three rabbis? No, no, no. Question. When the you're deciding, what the there's is. a big difference. When you're deciding the law in the Talmud, then you have to have machloket. This is machloket l'shem shamayim, right? The whole Talmud is full of, full of uh, different machloket because we're trying to get at the truth. We're trying to get at the emet. But once we got there, and then the rabbi has the, the psak halacha, and the, the, the person's asking for the answer, so then you can't, if you ask two rabbis, you can't shop around for heterim, can't shop around for what's the most lenient approach. Oh, this guy is lenient, I'm going to go to him. Right? You can't, you have to have one rabbi, and, and that's it. Okay. Now, so in the middle of this Mishnah, that uh, he says, Chachamim, Hizarubadivrechem. We have to be careful with our words. Sometimes, if a person says something that's not clear, it could be misunderstood. So you have to make sure to be, everything should be clear. Okay. The last Mishnah that we're going to do for tonight, let's see if we finish it. Hillel Vishamai Kiblu, Mishnah Yudbet, 12. Hillel Vishamai Kiblu Mehem, Hillel Omer, we should be like the students of Aaron, which means Ohev Shalom Verodev Shalom. We should love peace and we should run after that. We should chase after the peace. Ohev Ebriot. We should love mankind and bring them close to the Torah. Okay, now we have to understand this Mishnah, each phrase one at a time. Of course, it says that we have to love shalom. But really, this, is a, this mission is talking about a progression. The ultimate is, 
that when we're dealing with other people, what's our goal when we deal with other people? Our goal is to bring them closer to the Torah. That's the point. We're not trying to push them farther away from the Torah. We're trying to bring them as close as we can to the Torah. So if we keep that goal in mind, now how do we, how do we get to that goal? So the first step is Ohev Shalom. Before I even interact with anyone, I have to prepare myself. I have to love shalom. I have to love peace. I have to prepare my insides, my cognitive process, processing my emotions, my thinking process. Everything has to be in sync, in line with with shalom, which with peace. Ohev shalom. That's the first step. And then we have to rodev shalom. It's not so easy for there to be peace. How many times do we know that we have different friends that this friend doesn't talk to that friend, and this these people don't talk to those, and even within families. Right, brothers and sisters, between brothers, between sisters, between parents, it's there's, there's not always shalom, unfortunately. So, to, we have to shalom is something that we have to run after. We have to work on shalom, just like we said before, that it takes effort and toil to maintain a relationship. Also, with shalom, we have to run after the shalom. It's not so easy to have shalom. We have to run after it. And then it says, Ohevet Abriot. We have to love, we have to love our, our, our people. We have to love the creations. In other words, like this, before, one rabbi once told me, I asked, I asked him, do you, uh, what do you speak about? What's your drashan, Shabbat morning? What do you speak about? Do you give them musar? Do you tell them what they're doing wrong? What do you do? So he says, Chas v'shalom. I don't tell them. I, before I would tell them that they're doing something wrong, I would tell them ten times how great they are. And then maybe at the end, maybe a little bit, tell them what, what they're doing wrong. Point out something. Because in order to properly give someone else musar or rebuke, a person has to love the other person. Because our goal again is, like it says at the end of the Mishnah, umikarvana Torah. We're trying to bring everyone closer to the Torah. Sometimes if we point out an issue to another person, we think we're doing, oh, I'm such a tzaddik, I'm showing how, how he does, he, he puts on his tefillin the wrong way. I'm such a tzaddik and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? But the truth is, but by, by doing that, we might be pushing them away from the Torah. So our point really should always be, we should always ask ourselves, before we open up our mouth and say something to our friend, is this going to bring the person farther away from the Torah or closer to the Torah? If we ask that question, that question can sometimes solve a lot of problems of whether we should say something or we shouldn't say something. Probably also, uh, to bring a shalom, you need to be talked to other people. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's very important. That's very, 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 very important. Very important. Yeah. I just want to end with a story. I just want to end with the story of a person who went through the Holocaust, lived in Europe, and his name was Chaim. But he went through the Holocaust and he had a hard time. And when he came to America, he started changing a little bit. His name became Howard. And he was a little bit lax in some of his shmirat of, of, his, of his mitzvot. But Shabbat he kept. Shabbat he kept. And also Kashrut he kept completely 100%. Some of the other areas are a little bit lax, but those areas he kept. His friends, unfortunately, they didn't really keep. They went totally off. And we can't blame them. We can never blame, like we t- said the whole the whole t- the whole class, that we're not in a position to judge. But they, someone asked this person, Howard, Howard, what kept you? You know, you're keeping the Shabbat. I know you went through such a whole hard time in the Holocaust, and your friends they're not keeping. But how come you're keeping? How come you're observant when it comes to Shabbat and the why? How does it happen? 
He says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. Many times I was about to give it up. After everything that I went through in life, I, I almost couldn't keep it. But there was one thing that kept me going, and that was his Rebbe. His Rebbe was Rav Baruch Ber Leibowitz in the times of the, in, in Europe. And he used to remember that very often this rabbi used to sing with his Talmidim, with his students, songs of yearning and holiness. And those songs are something that he remembered. And it wasn't necessarily the teachings that the rabbi taught them, but it was these songs. These songs that they sang together, that showed that the Rebbe actually loved his Talmidim. And that love, when he would conjure up in his mind the memories of that love and the singing and the good times that they had together, that he said, how could I, how could I not keep Shabbat? How could I disappoint my rabbi? And because of that love, because of that connection that he had to his rabbi, that's what kept him going in, in terms of his Shemirat HaMitzvot. So we just want to end off uh, this Mishnah by saying we have to be Ohev Shalom, Virodev Shalom, we have to love peace, and we have to chase the peace, Ohev Etabriyot, and we have to remember that ultimately at the end, our goal, our mission is to be Mekarvan Torah to bring them closer to the Torah. Chazak Umarov. Oh.